Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, we have a, a listener question from, uh, Patrick Laverty, our, our friend and once in future guest. Um, he says a listener question, <laughs> but this one might be too easy. If you could do it all over again, would you have preferred the Milan Lucic contract seven by six or the David Backus contract five by six? Luch is more productive, but David Backus gives two years of flexibility. That's a That's, really yeah. good question. Um, is there a third option? Welcome to episode 23 of season three of Bruins and Bruins, a the Hockey Podcast Network podcast presented by Bruins Die Hard, sponsored by DraftKings. A hard listen, according to Drew's dad. Um, we are Sans Cam. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming with uh, Cam away. Um, and instead, we have Lauren Campbell, our friend from Nesson and the Lockdown Red Sox podcast. How are you doing, Lauren? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be back with you guys. It's been a while. What have you been up to? Uh, working and planning a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing. The usual. No, nothing really. Um, I got a beer. Who else has got beer? I have a beer for once. All right. I still have the green screen on. <laughs> uh, Lauren, you want to lead us off? Sure. I have um, Lining Kugel Collaboration Logger. How is it? <laughs> Um, it's okay. I'm not really a beer drinker, but I like lagers because they're lighter. And this kind of has like a, oh, this says amber lager imported German malt and American hops. Oh, I don't like hops. So that's actually surprising. So I learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got a uh, Kona big wave golden ale. This is uh, easily found across the country uh, out of Hawaii. Um, it's probably my favorite of the Kona beers. It's pretty light and uh, kind of fruity. Um, yeah, not a lot, not a lot going on, but it's pretty good. I'd say tasteability is pretty low, but it's a good flavor. Uh, we'll give it a seven out of thirty-seven tasteability, but that seven is a very good seven. Um, and then drinkability, oh, it's very drinkable. This is a, a full thirty-seven. Wow. Chris going to be drunk by the end of this? 
No. How many can you drink in 45 minutes to an hour? Uh, is that all? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I, uh, my little jingle there. I think uh, that'll be a, we'll do a segment every other week where Chris just pounds beers. Um, I have a uh, down east winter blend. So uh, Cam had actually tried this on the podcast. I think it's like two weeks ago now that he did. And I had had literally every other down east blend except for the winter blend, which was the one that I was searching for. Finally found it. Thanks, Hannaford's. Um, and yeah, so drinkability, definitely highly drinkable. I won't go full 37 because it can get ciders can get a bit sugary after the first two or three. So when your stomach can start to feel it. So I'm going to go like a 32 uh tasteability though off the charts uh 37 no that's on the chart but whatever 38 no it's off the charts uh hell yeah um i mean let's uh let's lead off with uh the pride um we'll we'll talk more in generalities here because they were off this past weekend and um had a had a nice little sweep of the toronto six who are currently ahead of them in the standings um so a couple of big wins um sitting in second place uh any overarching thoughts so far lauren i mean i don't think it's any surprise that jillian dempsey is leading the way or tied for most with goals on the team she just continues she's kind of like patrice bergeon she just gets better with age it seems like just constantly like all over the ice you always know when she's around and same with christina petunia i think she's really having a really strong season and Sammy Davis, it's her second year in the end or the the PHF and just continuing to really build a strong resume for herself. So I've liked what I've seen from those three. And as from the pride as a whole, it's always nice when you sweep, sweep Toronto, especially being from Boston. So got to love mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty crazy what their defense looks like right now. Um Coming into the season, it was it was pretty impressive, and they added Amanda Boulier, um in in the off season to what was already a really good defense, uh, and <laughs> and they added uh, Kaylee uh, Flanagan, who I believe kind of got left off the the Team USA uh, practice roster. So um, apparently, not a huge surprise that she came back. Um, she's a I believe BU person. And uh, so, yeah, it seems like a good fit and uh, just slots in right on that top pairing uh, with Kelly Fratkin. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty absurd uh, to, to add to what was already just a really good roster um, thoughts. Yeah. I mean, they were a wagon last year and they became more of a wagon this year. Um, it's, I mean, I'd like to see them, and obviously I'd like to see more wins, but what are they, 6-2 and two on the season? So you can't really complain too, too much, but there's still a long way to go. So it'd be nice for them to finish the season on top of the standings. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that's jumping out for me, I, I was explaining to Lauren and Chris both before, I, I guess I'm talking directly to listeners. Listeners, I was talking to both of these fine people. Um, how I've barely watched any hockey at all. I think I actually caught more of a non-Bruins game than I have a Bruins game or a Pride game. Um, So yeah, a a stat that is jumping out to me that I'm seeing, and I want to make sure this is correct, they have a 6% power play. 
Oh yeah, it's it's real bad. Really? Wow. It's it's gotten to the point where people are calling for them to decline penalties. Okay. Because <laughs> I believe they've been scored on almost as much on the power play as they've scored. Oh, I want to look up that, that that team stat. Well, I don't know if it's going to come up here, but I want to see what the goal differential is for them on the power play. I mean, their penalty kills rolling at 86, which is pretty good, but... Yeah. Well, I, I seriously thought that was like a typo, like, uh, you know, someone on the staff just like messed up and had to go back and edit that in like it was supposed to be like a 16% or something like that, but no. Um, no, it's pretty it, frustrating. It's... Uh, it, it's very uh, 2011 Bruins. Scrolling through more stats, I'm seeing uh, something that's funny is the the shooting percentage for some some of the players are is really low. Like uh, McKenna Brand has a .047 shooting percentage, um, 43 shots on goal though. Yeah, she just games, rips so. shots on. Net. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess one thing I'm I'm looking at, uh, Jillian Dempsey, ninety faceoff wins to sixty nine losses. That's pretty good. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we we talked at length with at length with Marissa and Jemmy about the pride and her her big takeaway was just like this team's gonna kick ass no matter what. So yeah. just to stick with it and. It'll it'll come around. I mean, if that power play starts humming, like that's that's almost too much. Um, they got a a set coming up this coming weekend against the Rivs, so uh, you know they'll be put to the test a little there. All right, shall we move on to the Bruins? Sure. All right. Uh, well, we haven't talked to Lauren yet this season about the Bruins. And I think that's, uh, that's on us. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we uh, fucked that up. <laughs> Usually by asking people to come on the day of the podcast. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, we're notoriously bad at uh, wasting people's time and, uh, asking them too late to join the podcast. Um, so I guess let's start with, um, kind of zoomed out view. Bruins made a few ads in the off season to a roster that was already considered not necessarily a cup contender, but definitely like a playoff contender. Um, and, you know, lost David Krejci and Tuka Rask for at least a while. Um, what have you seen so far? What's kind of your big takeaway in terms of how the new additions have fit in and what maybe the prospects are for the future of this team? I think my biggest takeaway is even with the additions to this team, it's still a one-line team. Uh, Marshan, Pasternak, Bergeron are still doing a lot of the work. Um, Pasternak is obviously not himself this year. He still has yet to kind of really come into himself. He's hitting the post left and right. He had a obviously a very traumatic offseason. Maybe that's some of it, but he'll certainly find his way. However, the Nick Felinos, the Arakalas, the Tomas Noseks, they don't make you... a a cup contender they don't put you into the Stanley Cup they were brought in to kind of provide that secondary scoring that's been a problem for how many seasons now and it's not really clicking and I think Foligno's been a fine addition but it's just there's no consistency here Um, and as well as the defense the defense is just it's mind-boggling to me because Derek Forbert is a big guy 
but it's kind of he's the odd man out here like where does he belong on this on these pairings what is he doing he shows flashes of greatness sometimes and he shows what he can scoreboard (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) but it's just it's frustrating because he was brought in and you lose somebody like Kevin Miller in the offseason who's this big guy who's not afraid to stand up for his teammates and you have uh, Forbert here who's a big guy but just not really fitting in the way the Bruins probably hoped he would um and as for the prospects I don't know what's going on like how they're going to handle Jack Stadnika because this is like their their golden ticket and he's just kind of I don't want to say wasting away in Providence because that's it's a little mean, but at the same time, what are you doing with him? Um, we've seen some prospects, like we just saw Sean, he played well, and we've seen some others throughout the season due to injury. Um, but you have like you just have so many what's supposed to be good prospects in Providence, and they're just kind of in Providence. Like what what is the move with them? Because you thought they were committing to the youth movement last year, and they just wouldn't. It's like they don't trust these young guys but the veterans aren't working out like the Felinos and the, and the no sex, but it's like, what next? What do you do with someone like Jack Stadnika? Because he's your, your top guy and he's in Providence, just kind of, kind of vibing. Yeah. I think in, in terms of the prospects, I, I agree, uh, especially on the Stadnika front. Uh, yeah, it's not. I guess it would be an injustice to say he's wasting away down there, but he's what he is wasting a lot of potential that he could be developing his skills at the NHL level. We've seen that he's capable of playing at the NHL level. It's just a matter of what role the Bruins can fit him into because he seems like he's going to be either uh, like a good third line scoring center or could even make it up to the second or first line if he reaches that peak. But those positions are all clogged right now. So do you let him play on the fourth line? Do you bump someone down to the fourth line so he can fit in? And especially at center where there's a log jam and there constantly is a log jam for the Bruins. That's why you see so many centermen play on the wing and not do well. And then they trade them and then they do good playing center in other places. But um, so prospect that it is concerning, especially because the Bruins don't have a deep prospect pool. Um, we're, we're already kind of seeing that prospect pool that, you know, we've referred to in past years. Now they're here. This is where we're at. Um, you know, you're Zaboral, Vakaninen, um, Trent Frederick is the one that's panned out well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like reached his potential, which is a low potential, but still. Um, so, yeah, I am concerned about the Bruins prospect pool, especially as you're moving away from this aging core. Uh, that it seems like you know I've I've heard aging core so many times over the past few years and they're they're still there some of them are still there um, but yeah they're they're really gonna have to draft well trade well to you know rebuild after the Bergeron era uh, it's, Ooh, it's, call that top line the Merlot line because they're aging like a fine wine uh, um, yeah. I'm sure no one said that before including uh, Pasternak who's, yeah. <laughs> who's like my age. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily agree with all that, Drew. I like a lot of the things that you said, but I, I mean, you mentioned Trent Frederick. He's been playing some third line center. I don't think there is a log jam at center. I think who who's staking their claim on that position? Eric Halla, Thomas Nosek, Curtis Lazar. Like none of those guys have really planted their flag and said, "Hey, this is my spot." Um, so I'm kind of worried about maybe the development of Jack Stadnika's. Maybe he's not everything 
he's uh, we've built him up to be as as a fan base. I mean, I, I know across the league, he's not necessarily considered a top prospect. Um, so I don't know that that makes me even more worried about the future. And I mean, the, there have been uh, people <laughs> Mike Milbury talking about uh, trading some of the you know, some of the key components of this team and kind of throwing in the towel and saying, Hey, let's move on to, uh, you know, five years from now and see what we can do with, with some picks and prospects and stuff. But I mean, if you look at what Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand specifically are doing right now, that seems kind of foolish, but it, it there is a, a point, uh, to that side of the argument. And I'm not gonna, I, I don't think it's as stupid as people think it is. I, I think it is a little dumb when you have the the pieces necessary to, you know, make a deep playoff run. And I, I think this team, as currently constituted, could win a cup. It's not it's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, but I, I think there are some teams that really do hang on to that idea when they don't have a chance. Um, I don't think this is one of those teams though. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's a point to be made about, you can make a point to trade anyone on this team, but you have somebody, I just don't think trading away Bergeron to get whatever he would be able to get back makes your team better. I think he also has to end, agree to be traded. Well, that too. I mean, people, there always always that, that small detail about trying to trade him, but I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think he's been here for 18 years and I just feel like he's somebody you don't trade because at the end of the day, you trade him, your team does not, your team gets worse without him. It's incredibly rare for team captains to be traded. Um, it happens, but normally it's the captain requesting a trade, uh, Jack Eichel, for example, <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, whereas, uh, why would Patrice Bergeron want to leave, especially on a team where he he obviously thinks they have a chance to win a cup? <laughs> right, right. I don't see him being giving up. I mean, if, if the Bruins absolutely fall into a pit of despair over the next month or two um, and fall completely out of the playoff race, then maybe you start talking about it. But it seems kind of silly uh, at this point. No, you don't trade Bergeron. There's no way you trade Bergeron ever, yeah, unless he wants it. If he wants it, then you have to like just set, just get a seventh round pick, bro. Like just get him as quick as possible. <laughs> Whatever he says goes. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I really don't see that happening. I think it would be like a Chara situation where they do one year, one year, one year as it goes along, as long as he wants to stay. Yeah. Um, and then if he doesn't want to stay anymore, I don't think it'll get to the point like they did with Char where it's like, well, we're not going to waste like 1.5 million on you anymore. Like I think, I think Bergeron won't be doing those $1.5 million deals at $2 million. You might take a discount as it goes <laughs> along, but I don't think it's going to get to that point. Um, but yeah, it's going to be on his terms. It's not going to be on the group. Uh, so one of the things I did want to bring up when you were talking about, uh, I guess when we were all talking about uh, the the additions that were made is and not a lot of them showing up on the score sheet as much. And when guys are doing that, I like to take a look at their evolving hockey page and kind of see, is it bad luck? What are they contributing in other areas? Um, and it kind of just seems like all of them are 
like really middle of the road in terms of expected goals um, and not really producing a whole lot in terms of, uh, you know, offensive opportunities. Um, but all of them have been pretty solid defensively and preventing scoring opportunities going the other way. So, I mean, <laughs> that's not what you brought these guys in to do, but uh, at least they're not actively hurting you out there. As long yeah. as they're canceling out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Like they're doing some sort of job, just not what you need them to do exactly. Like you came here for secondary scoring, but at the same time you're preventing goals. So it's like, uh, like you got to pick and choose your battles with when you want to say that the additions aren't doing exactly what what you want them to do. Like, no, they're not doing what you want them to do, but they're still contributing in ways that we don't really need them to. But I guess it's better than Connor Clifton being on the ice for every single goal. But I digress. <laughs> And Drew, Drew's a very uh, <laughs> noted Connor Clifton stand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just huge bias. Actually, no bias at all. Just went to school <laughs> with them and stuff. That's, that was it. No bias, none. Really? That's the only thing. And I didn't like that school. So I don't know why I'm attached to it. It was just when the Bruins signed him, I was like, that's a Quinnipiac player. I saw him play live. Uh-huh. He's my favorite now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's not looking good. But then I wasn't even watching the game where he scored. And then I saw the tweet. What was the tweet? It was like Galooza or something like that. Cliffy boy. Maybe it was Cam. Maybe it was Cam. I, I didn't tweet anything. I'm going to find it. <laughs> then it was Cam because it wasn't me. Did, did he say Golazo? Because that's, oh, yeah, like, that's what it is. Soccer thing. Yeah. Golazo. It's that boy Cliffy. And then I liked it two days later. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and, and speaking of uh, evolving hockey pages, uh, I did just out of curiosity look up the top line players. And uh, I, I had kind of mentioned that there was going to be a time when Brad Marchand takes over and, and starts driving that first line. Um, yeah, I said that too early. Patrice Bergeron's been the the play driver there. He's been the best player on that line on both ends of the ice. Um, it, it's not always uh, easy to see who's causing things for uh and, and there's definitely more to analyze than just looking at expected goals and Corsi stuff but um i mean you can see that brad Marchand's the the guy who does most of the zone entries and um and he's obviously producing in terms of points and distributing the puck and scoring goals but patrice bergeron's right there doing all that stuff and he's being super responsible defensively and he's been awesome on the power play yeah, you can't ask for more from really either of them. Um, I mean, you obviously, Brad Marchand's just elite. He's been an elite player now for a few years now, and he's continuing to just be better with every season and just be one of the leaders on this team. So are you where are you where you are right now without Brad Marchand? Absolutely not. No, you're towards the bottom of the Atlantic without Marchand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I still think he's the most important player. Uh, but you know, Patrice, um, man, that that guy, <laughs> good player. Maybe he's the most important on the ice, but I would still hazard a guess that Bergeron is the most important, just in general, on the team in the locker room, all that. I feel um, like, like hearts are shattered, not just ours. I mean, mine would be. <laughs> I, I'd be in not a good way uh i probably wouldn't be able to record this podcast yeah. <laughs> it's uh facts only um 
I guess in other news, uh, Tuka Rask practicing with the team. Um, I don't know much beyond that. Lauren, do you have any extra knowledge on that? Same thing. Just he's practicing with the team. He's at Warrior rehabbing his hip. Um, seems like he's on track. Um, it's always been January, February, but now we're, what, two weeks, three weeks away from January. So it's, the conversations are going to become more and more. His rehab will ramp up more and more. But it's good to see him back on the ice. I mean, Don Sweeney's very transparent about it. He's like, if he wants to play, he knows that he's likely part of this group. And it's smart. You win games. Tugarask wins you games. He steals you games. And But it has has been nice to see uh, Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman kind of playing with a little bit of fire the last five or six games. But it's also really good to see Tugarask, after playing on a torn labrum, continue to, I mean, from what I've seen, look really, really good and look close to, if not 100%. Yeah, that'd be really nice uh, having a but very interesting to think about like how bad of an injury he was playing through and how good he still looked. Yeah. Um, if he has rehabbed back to a hundred percent, I mean, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing to remember with Tuca though, is he, he is a free agent and I think he, he's going to toronto uh no (laughs) he's gonna be he's gonna be a bruin i and we've talked about this uh, at length chris about you know what do you do do you sign him what if like olmark and swayman are doing good like no just get rask on the team phase him into being the starter i think i think have him split the net with olmark for a few because i think they sent swayman down um split the net with Allmark for a couple of weeks and phase him into being able to play like all of those games. Cause I still think even if you're rehabbing from an injury, it's one thing to be doing these practices, drills, scrimmages, but when it comes time to be playing every other night, roughly, well, I guess in the Bruins case, you never know when they're going to play. It's kind of random playing now. three times in one day, <laughs> three times in one day. And then off you might need three all three weeks. of your goalies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it is going to take some time until he would be that bona fide starter, you know, getting most of the action. But I think he'd get there, and yeah, he he can he can carry the team to a certain extent. I think with this young defense or weird, I, I guess just weird defense. It's a really weird defense the Bruins have right now. Like if you threw these names on paper in front of me like three years ago, I'd be like, who are half these guys? Uh, but. I think he can really help fill those gaps there where I definitely wouldn't have known who Mike Riley is. Yeah, no, no, no. Or, De- or Daryl Forsbrand, you know, so he played in LA. So I knew who he was, but, um, West coast hockey represent. Um, but Mike Riley, I didn't know who he was until literally the day he was traded to the Bruins. And, uh, then he immediately became my favorite player. I like Mike Riley. He last year when we when the Bruins traded for him, he had an open lane. Any the second he saw an open shooting lane, he took the shot. So Mike Riley got into my good list very very quick. I just love the like hilarious shit he does on the ice. Like he'll be at the left point, uh, not even on the power play. He'll just be chilling on the left point and then drive hard across the blue line for some reason and just like deke out some like random ass center on the third line of the other team for no actual <laughs> advantage <laughs> just to, like just move things funsies. around a little bit i love that stuff and i love when he uh he'll like one time a pass across the blue line just going d to d 
he'll he'll get a pass and he'll just like slap pass it across the, <laughs> the blue line. I I've never seen anyone play hockey like him, and I think uh that's why I love him so much. I like I hear like the Globe Trotters theme music in the background when he's like <laughs> oh, cause he's just oh slap pass dude <laughs> gonna do a spinorama for no reason. Yeah, that's my guy. Yeah. Um the Brews and Bruins podcast is sponsored by DraftKings. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Just a little mediocre team right now, to be honest. Yeah, it's, we're, we're in the weird doldrums where it's... Uh, you know, they'll win a couple of good games. I mean, I like the goaltending. Uh, you you mentioned it, Lauren. Like, they're both Swayman and Olmark have kind of stepped up and both having some really – stringing together some really good games. Um, but, I mean, there's just so much bad going on in other areas that it's hard to get really excited about it. Because yeah. those performances have been necessary in order to win. That's the thing is, all season – They've been beating teams they should beat. They're beating the bad teams, which is good. But they were really unable to beat good teams. Uh, marquee teams were really starting to expose where they were bad. And it was getting really bad every game because it's like, okay, good. You're beating the Buffalo Sabres. You should. You, you beat the Detroit Red Wings. Okay, you should. But when, you, you, when you're only beating the teams you should, it, it, you're not going to win playoff games that way. It's, it's going to be really ugly if they go into the playoffs the way that just if they kind of stumble in they're not going to be able to be, they're going to get swept because this is how they played all year. They're, they're not able to steal games. Yeah. I think it, I'm looking at like the upcoming schedule. You got Vegas tomorrow night, or I guess this releases Tuesday. So tonight, if you're listening tonight or yesterday, tonight, tonight. Listen Wednesday. <laughs> um, so they play Vegas, Vegas. They play Vegas Tuesday, Las Vegas, uh, which had <laughs> Las Vegas. Um, which is like a little concerning. Vegas is good, but then you have the Islanders, and I feel like if you don't beat the Islanders in their own building, then something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> which feels weird to say. But then you got Montreal and Ottawa after that, so uh, definitely concerning if they can't beat the Islanders. And then I feel like you got to beat Montreal and Ottawa just to be. I'm fine dropping Vegas. Yeah, if, if, if you can get some points out of those other games. Yeah, that's the it's a good looking schedule upcoming. I would be worried if if they come out with you know going 500 Five or points. below. Yeah. 5 points. Um we have a 
a listener question from uh, Patrick Laverty, our our friend and once and future guest. Um, he says a listener question, <laughs> but this one might be too easy. If you could do it all over again, would you have preferred the Milan Lucic contract seven by six or the David Backus contract five by six? Luch is more productive, but David Backus gives two years of flexibility. That's a That's, really yeah. good question. Um, is there a third option? <laughs> I mean, my option would have been signing neither of them. <laughs> I would, I mean, I guess I would say Lucic only on the fact that he's still playing and that Backus, although older, was still his career ended due to injury at the end of the day. Um, I loved Bacchus when he was here. I'm still salty about him not playing in game seven against the Blues. Does he make a difference? No, but is he better than Trent Frederick? Yes. But at the end of the day, Lucic is still producing. He's still valuable to a team. Um, and again, some of that is not Bacchus's fault. But if I had to do it again, it'd probably be Lucic. Yeah, I'd have to agree. If I have to choose between the two, um, I mean, maybe there's a little bit bias there, but loved Lucic, um, and and didn't like <laughs> didn't like Backus from the standpoint that it felt like a waste, for, like a like in terms of cap space um, since the beginning. And then with Lucic, it, I feel like it would have been one of those things. Oh, he's so good. And then it just turns out he's not. It's like, okay, at least you had reason to pay him that amount. Back as it was like, we're going for it. This is going to hopefully be our guy. Um, not so much concrete evidence. But yeah, Lucic is still playing. Just played his 1,000th game against the Bruins, no less. So um, yeah, um, that stat I'm, alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back as I feel like $12 million is a lot extra to be paying somebody who's still not very productive. And I mean, both Lucic and Bacchus were pretty solid defensively for the like three, four years following that signing those contracts. So I feel like either way you get something um, back as I think was mostly disappointing because of the amount of money he was being paid. And, you know, he wasn't particularly productive offensively and like, that's not he wasn't signed to be like a defensive third liner, but he was really good at that. Um, and was definitely better than Louis Erickson, the, uh, the other, well, I mean, Louis Erickson his last year with the Bruins was really good, but um, immediately after he signed with the with the Canucks, it was way downhill. Um, but yeah, I, I, the the buyout hurts a little bit. Uh, I don't. I'd be interested to see what would have happened with Lucic because Lucic was like really bad for a few years in Edmonton. Um, he, I feel like he had a moderately productive year in LA after the trade. Um, but um, I, I think he, he was considered to be like lesser or equal to David Backus in terms of, you know, his productivity um, for a couple of years. And then as David Backus, like really trailed off Lucic kind of usurped him, but that's a lot of extra money to be paying for, not a lot of productivity. So I'm going to stick with Bacchus. And I think it would have been really interesting to see what the, the cap would have looked like having to try and re-sign Charlie McAvoy and Brandon mm, Carlo and try true. and deal with all that cap gymnastics. Um, I think, you, you know, David Krejci might've had to 
you know, be uh, asked if he would be willing to be traded maybe the year before. Um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting question. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always, when you're talking about unproductive players, I will always take fewer years. <laughs> yeah. I think um, <clears throat> that's a good point. Just looking at how the Bruins have been able to juggle the cap recently um and yeah Lucic would have made that much harder but another thing in favor of Lucic I think would that he wouldn't be um <clears throat> he wouldn't be a healthy scratch as much as back as was I think he would have still brought something even if they were paying him what seven million to play on the fourth line like he would have still been in the starting lineup um but does that outweigh having him on the cap for an extra couple of years probably not yeah and and also shout to kind of a product of a bygone era, but um, still willing to, you know, toss the mitts and back is kind of like, it was really sad to to watch a guy who had had some pretty serious concussion issues toward the end of his career, uh, try to, you know, find that part of his game. Um, and that's not something I want to see anybody mm-hmm. like that do. Um and I mean, at least having um, Lucic, who is willing to do that and and is practiced at doing that, would have been a plus as well. Definitely. Uh, we got anything else? No. We just right. covered a lot of Bruins, even though it was it was only like a half hour, but we covered like. <laughs> More than we usually do in two episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Dream team, baby, baby. Uh, Thoughts on the Red Sox or Patriots, Lauren? Well, the Red Sox are non-existent right now because of the lockout, which is lame. Um, So that stinks. It's hard to get a gauge on how they'll be next year when there's still moves to be made. But, I mean, go Patriots. They started two and four, and now they're nine and four. First in the AFC atop the standings. Bills are looking like they won't even make the playoffs, which would be hilarious. (laughs) Poor Bills fans, I guess. But my um, my roommate is a Bills fan. Oh Um, no, she's from Niagara (laughs) Falls, and her parents were out here visiting her and staying with us uh, for the nine to six loss against the Jaguars. Oof, Um, it was that's (laughs) not not fun to be around. I can imagine because the Bills fans are intense. Like, I mean, I give them props. They, they're loyal fan base. They're, they're they're a strong fan base. So I, I like so. And I do feel bad in a sense where it's like the Bills started off so strong and like this is our year. And last year they probably felt the same. And it's like here come the Patriots again. Here comes Tom Brady again. And it's just like they're probably just dying for Brady to retire and probably Belichick too at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect the hell out of any fan base that's willing to follow a team that just like refuses to win (laughs) in the playoffs um yeah we're all of an age where we are absolutely spoiled being uh boston sports fans and oh yeah my my parents often lament that uh, you didn't even have to live through any of the well we were uh, 11 years old and drew was like I I, when the Pats won the first Super Bowl, which really kicked it all off, or at least my generation, it was 2001. So yeah. I was, I was four, turning five. Oh my! 
Yeah. You were but I remember, a baby. I remember watching that game too, or at least, at least the end. I remember the kick. I remember Vinatieri's kick and then celebrating. Um, that's all I remember that game. But that's probably the best part. That's all you Other than the drive leading up to that. <laughs> yeah, and then Red Sox in 2004. I was 14. That's... Uh, Same. Yeah, and I, it's been all winning since then. Yep, yeah. 2003 was enough heartbreak for me. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Oh, my dad was was at that game at Yankee Stadium for the Sox. Oh. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he has a buddy who lives in New Jersey, big Yankees fan, so they always butted heads, you know, over that rivalry. He's like, come on out. My dad was so going to be, like, pumped. Oh, the Red Sox are going to win in Yankee Stadium. My friend's here. I'm going to, like, you know, give it to him a little bit. And then, no, it's just heartbreak. <laughs> but yeah, I got a signed ball out of it. It was signed by, like, no players, but, like, all these, like, media people, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't know why he, why he was hanging out with the press, but... I had some interesting Red Sox watching experiences this year, but I, I like the the only thing I could think of when the Red Sox were like making their little playoff run that I, you know, I really thought that was going to go better than it did, um, was you know trading Mookie Betts and then winning the World Series would have been like the uh, Jesse Pinkman he can't keep getting away with it <laughs> gif. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and I think if the Patriots pull off a Super Bowl, that would be the same kind of deal here. Yeah. 100%. Isn't it the most likely pairing now in the Super Bowl is Pat's Buccaneers? Or I think that was last week anyway. I don't know if that changed. I think Vegas had it either that or, um, I think the Chiefs maybe, but. I don't Mac know if Jones, I like Tom Brady Super yeah, Bowl. I don't know what if, if I... Mac Jones just ended Tom Brady's career. That I really don't know if hilarious. I fully believe in Mac Jones as a quarterback, but uh, I mean, I if, in Bill. if you want to go out there and throw out a defense that uh, like last year missing like a bunch of guys that were a big part of a really good defense the year before, because, you know, opting out of uh, because of COVID and a couple of injuries. Um, and well, I guess the like, Stephon Gilmore is not there anymore, but uh, J.C. Jackson's incredible. Um, but th- th- this defense is so good. If you just want to like throw that defense out there and uh, run the ball with a couple of good young running backs, whatever, throw the ball when you can. Um, I think that's uh, it's an interesting way to combat what NFL defenses are trying to do right now because they're all trying to prevent Patrick Mahomes from doing what he does and mm-hmm. Patriots are not doing that at all. Football talk on a hockey <laughs> podcast. Who would have thought? All right, what's next? Um it's, uh, obscure sport. Obscure sports quarterly. Um anybody watch the like Formula One stuff? I really wish I watched Formula One more than I uh, do, but I pay attention to it, but I like just don't. Sunday morning, I don't want to just watch racing. I don't know. It's not. It's not what I want to do on my Sunday morning. Sometimes you gotta get up at like six a.m. to watch. Yeah, I would have to yeah. get up at like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just staying up late at that point. Let's face it. Saturday. I, night. I used to. I used to watch Formula One with my dad when I was a kid, and that was kind of like a like Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello, like those guys. But the, um, uh, the Netflix documentary series on F1 is really good. 
I hear it's really good. good. That's what got me into it. Because I was like, oh, this would be cool. Like a sports documentary, this racing sport that I know like little about. It's apparently the fastest growing sport in Canada. I don't know about in the United States, but um, hockey's on the decline. (laughs) uh, Because Toronto. I think think that Netflix documentary has a lot to do with it. Um, I recently watched the documentary Senna, um, which is uh, about uh, the, the dude who died in uh, an accident in formula one and uh that's a good documentary i was watching it for my other podcast uh check out burritos and other less important things um don't no one no one listens to that podcast <laughs> it's more of an archive for chris and his friends <laughs> of movies that i watch no um, we love that podcast I- i've been on that podcast yeah D- really drew and cam podcast. have appeared on the podcast i'm gonna try and get uh jess and lancy on there as well because nice They've been on this podcast too many times not to cross over. <laughs> Lauren's um, getting close, though. Yeah, we need, <laughs> we, we need to have Lauren on like 25 more times this season. and then. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't think we want to waste your time like that. <laughs> um, all right, anything to plug? Um, yeah, you, you can find my, me on Twitter at Lauren three laws, Lauren and four hours. Find all of my stuff on Nesson.com. The Nesson Bruins pod with me, Logan, and Mike is also on Nesson.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and also the Lockdown Red Sox podcast, also wherever you get your podcasts. So I do a lot of shit, so go check it out. I can yep. swear on here, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we oh, almost man. made it through an episode with no swearing. I think that uh, no, would have been a first. I swore so, uh... a couple of times in the middle oh, okay, of it. Okay, good. All right, good. Um, but we didn't talk about uh, Logan's bet with us. Um, <laughs> Lauren, are you aware of this? No. So I've seen you guys like go back and forth about it, um, but I do not know the bet. So a little backstory. I met Logan at a wedding. Um, one of one of my best friends got married in my hometown, and uh, my friend Nate works with Logan's wife. And like we were randomly introduced to each other and I invited him on the podcast in person. I believe that's the first time I've ever done that. Um, <laughs> and he came on with guns a blazing and said, uh, John Moore is better than Brandon Carlo. <laughs> sounds about right. That sounds just like Logan. Um, and so we made a, uh, a bet the terms of which I'm not really clear on. I think there's a like chugging of a Molson ice uh, in there. <laughs> Um, sounds right <laughs> on the uh the point totals of brandon carlo versus john moore and uh john what? moore playing in the stead of brandon carlo had an assist the other night i will say back in was it 2019 uh logan and i were covering bruins blue jackets and i was there when i saw almost the tables turn for logan on his hatred for brandon carlo i guess i'll call it because carlo bodied artemi panarin which ended up leading to either the game time goal or the the game winning goal in bruins blue jackets um eastern conference semifinal i think it was um and he was just like 
God damn it. Now I'm going to have to write a 2000 word thing piece on why Brandon Carlo is the best defenseman the Bruins have ever had. <laughs> so it was just like the, the, just to see the turn of it. Cause obviously he's a big John Moore guy. So just to see that those tables turn so quickly. And that one specific moment was something that I'll always remember and love about Logan. He, he may be the one big John Moore guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. His headshot is on his desk. He's got uh, John Moore's headshot. <laughs> he did tell us a story, I think, about like Tuca being in this in the offices and like coming through and uh, seeing that headshot and being like, "That's a little weird." <laughs> <laughs> Not every day you see John Moore just plastered on somebody's desk. Yeah, usually people have like pictures of their family or loved ones or pets or something, but no, Logan <laughs> just has a picture of John Moore. <laughs> John Moore, Joe Keep Nordstrom, Sandy Leon's nameplate. There is a picture of him and his wife in Paris, so there is there is something of, of them too. <laughs> you know, they all go together so well. <laughs> they do. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks no for joining us, Lauren. Uh good crew over there at Nesson will uh a lot of our friends <laughs> and <laughs> you, friends. you are certainly one of our good friends from there um yeah thanks for uh giving us your time for this stupid podcast <laughs> i'm always here to give my time to you guys You're my favorite All right. thanks a lot thank you do, do, do.